Let's continue in our talks from Ruth by reading Ruth chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. In the second half of Ruth chapter 3, we see the willingness of Boaz to fulfill his responsibility as a kinsman redeemer, but we also learn of another kinsman redeemer who is a closer relative than Boaz. Ruth chapter 3 and verse 10. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am your near kinsman. However, there is a kinsman nearer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a near kinsman for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, Do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Also he said, Bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. So when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave me. For he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. Let's consider some background notes first of all. In the first half of Ruth chapter 3, we saw Naomi the matchmaker. During the gleaning season, this wise older woman, knowing that she was too old to remarry herself and have children, decided that Boaz could marry Ruth and fulfill his responsibilities as kinsman redeemer. Naomi knew that Ruth was willing to marry Boaz, and she was quite sure that Boaz was willing to marry Ruth. And so she came up with a plan whereby Ruth could give Boaz the opportunity to say yes or no. At first glance, the plan seems somewhat risque or indiscreet, with Ruth presenting herself to Boaz at night and asking him to spread out his blanket over her. However, we know that this was a cultural way for Ruth to let Boaz know she was willing to be married to him if he was willing to fulfill his responsibilities to her as kinsman redeemer. Notice what Ruth says there in verse 9. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a near kinsman. Ruth was not crawling into bed with Boaz. No, she was lying at his feet, as we see there in verse 8. She was only asking him to put the corner of his covering over her as a cultural way of saying that he was willing to marry her. Notice in verse 11 that Boaz says to Ruth, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now, hardly could Boaz have said that to Ruth if Ruth was climbing into bed with Boaz. And notice verse 14. So she lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. So there's no sex between Boaz and Ruth that night. The good news here is that Boaz said that he was willing to marry Ruth. In fact, he's happy about it. Look at verse 10 once again. Then he said, 
Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. The fact that Boaz refers to Ruth as my daughter and that she did not choose a young man for a husband, that's a good indication that Boaz is a number of years older than Ruth. Now, what does Boaz mean by this statement? You have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning. The kindness at the beginning was leaving her homeland to come with Naomi and to care for Naomi. The kindness at the end is giving up the chance to marry a younger man so that again Naomi would be cared for and the property kept in the family and an heir raised up for Elimelech. The six ephahs of barley here that Boaz gave Ruth in verse 15 were not only an indication of the happiness of Boaz, but an assurance to Naomi that Boaz would take care of her as well as take care of Ruth as he married her. Notice what Ruth said to Naomi there in verses 16 and 17. Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. So it's an indication that Boaz is willing to continue to care for Naomi as well as take care of Ruth as he marries her. Now there was just one problem to be taken care of before Boaz could redeem the property and marry Ruth. Well, there was a closer relative, and under the law, he was the kinsman redeemer that was first in line. Only if he declined the responsibility was the way open for Boaz to perform the duty of kinsman redeemer. Well, so much for background notes. Now we want to move to our doctrinal points or teaching points. Doctrinal point number one, waiting on God involves a time of testing. Waiting on God involves a time of testing. After Boaz told Ruth that he was willing to marry her, but that there was a closer relative, then he said to Ruth there in verse 13, Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a near kinsman for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. Now, do you think Ruth slept the rest of that night? <laughs> do you think Boaz slept the rest of that night? Probably not. What if the closer relative were to say yes? Well, here was a couple that was in love, Boaz and Ruth, and they wanted to be married, and they are hoping things will work out, but they must wait on God. It was a time of testing for both of them. It was a time of testing for Boaz because he knew what the right course of action was under the law. But the right course of action meant that he might lose Ruth. Would he do the right thing and trust God to work it out, even if it meant that Ruth was not to be his wife? And it was a time of testing for Ruth because she was placing her marriage in God's hands for God's choice. Can you imagine Ruth's thoughts as she lay there on that threshing floor that night? What if God's choice is not Boaz, but the other relative? What if I can't bear children? After all, Malan and I did not have any children. And if I do have children, how will they be looked at? Will they carry the stigma of their mother being a Moabitist? All of these thoughts would have flooded Ruth's mind as she waited on God. It was a test of her faith. 
Waiting on God involves a time of testing. Have you ever had to wait on God? It's a time of testing, isn't it? Sometimes it's waiting for the results of a job interview. You want the job. You need the job. You've prayed about this job, but you must wait. Wait on God. It's not easy always. The test of your faith. Maybe it's waiting on God for his will in reference to serving him. Remember how Nate and Jeanette McGurk had to wait on God in reference to serving with Transworld Radio. Everything finally worked out, but they will tell you that it was definitely a time of testing as they waited. The time of testing may come as you're waiting on God for the results of a medical test. Will you be given a clean bill of health or will there be problems? This is such a test of faith, especially if the test results are not good. You know, Margie and I know a couple on the East Coast that are still waiting on God for the results of certain medical treatment. The wife was diagnosed with cancer a few years ago. She had an operation and chemotherapy. But there's still a question as to whether cancer remains. But they are not sad or discouraged during this time of test. They are waiting on God for His will. Waiting on God involves a time of testing. Doctrinal point number two. Waiting on God assumes that God is working. Waiting on God assumes that God is working. You know, the reason believers can sit tight and not worry and not get upset when they are waiting on God is because they know that God is at work behind the scenes to accomplish His good purposes. We certainly see this in the book of Ruth. Nothing will stop God's good plans of taking care of Naomi and providing a good husband for Ruth and continuing the lineage of the coming Messiah. In the same way, we can assume that God is working for us while we wait on Him. Illustration. Last week, Ted and Lois shared with us how their son Charles is beginning to give evidence once again of his faith. Now, Ted and Lois have been waiting on God for a long time for this evidence, but they were confident that God was at work because waiting on God assumed that God is working. Now notice what Naomi says of Boaz to Ruth there in verse 18. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. I think we have here another aspect of this doctrinal point. Remember we said that Boaz throughout the book of Ruth is a spiritual picture or type of the Lord Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. Now, if Boaz would not rest until the matter was concluded and he married Ruth, is this not a picture of our present relationship with our Boaz, the Lord himself? We are the bride of Christ awaiting the marriage supper of the Lamb. This will take place when our Lord returns. Meanwhile, we wait while he is working on our behalf. Right now, he's working on our home in heaven, for example. In John 14, verses 2 and 3, the Lord told us that he has gone to prepare a place for us. He is working, and he will not rest until the matter is concluded, and he returns for us, his bride. I don't think this is over-spiritualization. Remember, waiting on God assumes that God is working. Now, what about practical application? Practical application number one. Don't give those who gossip an opportunity. Don't give those who gossip an opportunity. In verse 14, 
Boaz says, Do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor because he didn't want to give those who gossiped an opportunity to gossip. You can imagine what the town gossipers would have said if they knew Ruth had spent the night in the presence of Boaz. There were gossipers in that day. There are gossipers today. You know the best way to handle gossipers? Don't give them anything to gossip about. Don't give those who gossip an opportunity. Practical application number two. You will never lose out on the best deal if you wait on God. You will never lose out on the best deal if you wait on God. You know, I've had to learn this lesson the hard way because I tend to make decisions too quickly. Well, Boaz and Ruth did not lose out by waiting on God. In fact, if we were writing up the story of Ruth, we would probably have ended it with the lines, and they lived happily ever after, right? Psalm 84.11 says, No good thing will God withhold from them that walk uprightly. You will never lose out on the best deal if you wait on God. Whether it be a job that you're applying for, or a home that you're buying, or a sale that you're missing out on, or on the right husband or wife that you're looking for in marriage, if you wait on God, you'll never miss out on God's choice for you. You will never lose out on the best deal if you wait on God.